Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and inspires you and helps you on your journey to discover and follow the will of God. To obtain a typed outline of today's message, you can go to the show notes or details page of your podcast platform. This week at Bethlehem, we had a special guest speaker, Kevin Witsit of Person to Person Ministries. He preached his message, Dig a Ditch, from 2 Kings 3. It's a story of Elisha and three kings, but really, it's a story of God's crazy power. And now, here's Kevin's message, Dig a Ditch. And uh, it's wonderful when you think about how God has designed the church. It's wonderful that God uses a whole lot of different kinds uh, of people. Uh, When we look into Scripture, uh, we see uh, how God did some great things, don't we? We see how He used Moses and Abraham and Joshua and Paul and just countless people. And when we study these people and see all these people in Scripture... You know, sometimes we, we kind of think of them as, as superheroes, you know, that they just had this special power about them to do what God wanted them to do. But actually, when you look at their lives, they were just regular old people. You know, Abraham was a farmer. Paul was a tent maker. Many of the disciples were, were professional fishermen. You know, what, what we might call a, a hero, well, they were just ordinary people that God used to do extraordinary things, which gives me and I'm sure all of us hope, doesn't it? Because we're just regular old people, aren't we? But God wants to use each one of us to do His work if we let Him. What I want us to do this morning is look at a guy in the Bible who, who did some amazing things. He was just a regular guy. He was a farmer, actually. But God used him because he had what I call a ridiculous faith. Now that word, ridiculous, that's an interesting word. Depending on how old you are, uh, we'll, we'll define how you look at that word. To the older generation... The word ridiculous probably means silly or absurd or stupid. You know, us older folk will go, Bah, that's ridiculous, that's stupid. And saying that something's ridiculous is usually a bad thing. But to the younger generation, the word ridiculous can refer to something good. Because over the years, and you know this, words have changed depending on how you use The word. For example, the word bad in this day and age can actually mean good depending on how you use it. You know, you might take a bite of pizza and go, oh, man, this pizza's bad. Or you could take a bite of pizza and go, whoa, this pizza's bad. You know? Or the word sick. Sick used to mean, man, you you just threw up on my new shoes. Are you sick? But my son, he would come home with some brand new shoes and go, Hey, Dad, check out my new shoes. Aren't they sick? 
You know, words like gay and plank, cloud, all have different meanings in this day and age, as does the word ridiculous. Instead of meaning stupid, it can actually mean amazing. And I hear it a lot on ESPN Sports Center. That's where I hear this word ridiculous used. The commentators will say, oh man, that shot was ridiculous. Or man, that guy made a ridiculous catch, meaning it was amazing. Well, there's a guy in the Bible who had what we could call a ridiculous faith. He had an amazing faith. His name was Elisha. Now, Elisha had been the assistant to the great prophet Elijah for many, many years. And at the end of Elijah's ministry, he threw his, his cloak around Elisha's shoulders as a symbolic way of saying, okay, what God has done through me, He is now going to do through you. And immediately, Elisha did something that you might think is ridiculous. Now, if you're a farmer and have cattle, you might think, well, this is ridiculous. This was stupid. Because what Elisha did to show his faith in the Lord was he killed all of his oxen and he burned all of his plows. As a way of saying, man, I'm not going back. I'm, I'm venturing out in, into a new path. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go be God's man. And I don't want my oxen and my plows, my, my farm, my fields. I don't want those to tempt me to come back. So he killed his cows and burned his plows. So that he could put God first in his life. Now that's, depending on your definition, that's an, a ridiculous, that's an amazing faith. The Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God. Now that doesn't mean you go home today and you burn your house down. Okay? It doesn't mean you go blow up your car so you can go serve the Lord better. But God does want each Christian to have a very active and evident faith. And this story of Elisha will challenge us to examine really what kind of faith we do have. So if you have a Bible, if you want to go to 2 Kings chapter 3, we are going to look at, the, at this story of of Elisha. It starts off, 2 Kings 3, by introducing us to three different kings. Now back in that Old Testament age, the nation of Israel, which was God's chosen people, had been divided into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And one of the kings that we meet here in this chapter is King Joram, or your, your Bible might say Jehoram. He was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and he was a lousy king. He was a wicked, evil king, as many of those kings were back then. Now, he must have got it from his mommy and daddy, because you know who his mom and dad were? King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, the wickedest king and queen Israel had ever seen. So this guy is now the king, Joram. And he wasn't quite as bad as Ahab and Jezebel, but he was pretty bad. He was a wicked, ungodly king. Well, the other king that we meet is Jehoshaphat. He's the king of the, the southern kingdom of Judah. He had been a good king for the most part. 
And then the third king was the king of Edom. So what's going on here is these three kings are going to join forces and battle against the king of the Moabites. Okay? So it's three against one. And these three kings, they're probably thinking, man, this is going to be a piece of cake. This is going to be an easy win. But things don't always go as planned, do they? When those troops of those three kings marched out in the desert, in seven days, they ran out of water. And they were all about to die of thirst. So obviously they had a great need. Man, we, we got these thousands of soldiers and all these animals out there, and they're going to die of thirst. We got a need here. Now as this story unfolds, we're going to learn some important lessons. And uh, we have them printed on the back of your bulletin there. And here's one of the first lessons. Our greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives us to depend on God. Look at that again. Our greatest need can become a blessing when it drives us to depend on God. Let's see how that plays out. 2 Kings 3, let's start in verse number 9. It says, So the king of Israel, Joram, set out with the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. And here's the, the wicked king, King Joram. He says, what? Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, and here's the sign of a, of a good king. He's thinking, well, what can God do about this? Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? And an officer of the king of Israel, Joram, answered, Well, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He, he used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, Oh, the, the word of the Lord is with him. Like, this guy knows what he's doing. God's with this guy. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him, to Elisha. So when these three kings heard that Elisha was in town, they got excited because they knew that Elijah had been a great miracle worker. And if Elijah had worked great miracles, well, maybe Elisha could too. And one of the miracles that Elijah had performed years earlier was when he called on God in the midst of a drought and a rainstorm appeared. So these kings who were out of water were thinking, well, man, if Elijah could do that, send water, well, then maybe Elisha can do the same thing. Now, we've we got to understand that these three kings at this point uh, really weren't serving the Lord much at all. Now, Jehoshaphat wasn't too bad of a king, but Joram, he was a terrible, evil, wicked king. The king of Edom, he wasn't any better. So we have three men who found themselves in trouble and decide, well, we better go to God. And isn't that how we do it sometimes, too? We don't give God much thought until we're in, in a pickle. 
And then we cry, oh, God, help me out here, you know. And it's interesting that, that Joram, this wicked king, King Ahab's son, it seems he's the one doing most of the talking. Kind of like if, you know, he and God are just real tight, you know. So, so when they hear that Elisha is in the area, they make a beeline down to him because Elisha had been making a name for himself. Since, since he had received Elijah's blessing, man, he had been doing some ridiculous things, some amazing things. He had miraculously divided the Jordan River. He had cleaned up a polluted spring of water. Um, Elisha was the guy, you probably remember this one, when, when a group of young men came out and started making fun of his bald head. Remember that? They, hey, go up, old bald head. Well, he got mad. He called a couple of bears out of the woods and killed 42 young men. Jeez. But that was God's way of saying, hey, don't mess with my appointed leader. And maybe also don't make fun of bald men. Okay? <laughs> so Elisha had been doing some, some ridiculous miracles, which is why these kings said, man, we got to get down and talk to him. But look at what Elisha said in verse 13, okay? These three guys show up. Joram, the evil king, does all the talking. Verse 13, Elisha said to the king of Israel, the wicked one, what do we have to do with each other? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Ahab and Jezebel. No, no, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to hand us over to Moab. And Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you. Now let's notice a couple things here. Elisha was kind of ticked off at these guys, especially Joram. You know, Joram had been an evil king. They hadn't been following the Lord hardly at all. And now they're wanting God to help them out. So Elisha looks at evil king Joram and says, You want my help? You want God's help? I don't think so. Why don't you go to the, to the prophets and, and, the, and, and the false gods of your mommy and daddy. Maybe they can help you out. And Joram says, no, 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 no. We, we believe that the God of Israel brought us together. And he says, hey, I, I, I serve the Lord Almighty. You don't serve Him. But as surely as I serve Him, I will go to God, but only because I have some respect for Jehoshaphat who's been a pretty good king. And if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat being right here, I wouldn't even be talking to you. Man, that's, that's putting it right in the guy's face, isn't it? So basically says, all right, I'll go to God, but here's the first thing we're going to do. 
And can't you picture these three kings? Man, they probably get up on the edge of their seat. They're going, all right, here, here it comes. And we're going to hear what, what this man of God, what, what his plans are. Verse 15, what's it say? Elisha said, now bring me a harpist. A, a, a harpist? Did, did he say a, a harpist? We're out in the middle of a desert. Where are we going to get a harpist? Why does he want a harpist? Well, here's another lesson that we can learn from this, friends. You see, before Elisha inquired of the Lord on behalf of these guys, he wanted to worship. Let that sink in. He wanted to worship because something special happens when we worship. Not just when we sing songs. But when we truly worship, when we truly connect with God, when our hearts are filled and we are, we are in the presence of God Almighty, Elisha's ridiculous faith led him to worship before he did anything else. And look what happened while he was worshiping. Verse 15 it says, while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. Well, I don't know if they could physically see something happen, or if that's just a, a spiritual thing. But whatever it was, Elisha heard from God as a prophet while he was worshiping. Not while he was praying. Not while he was reading the Old Testament law. Not while he was having a committee meeting. But while he was worshiping. Friends, we need to learn that before we go to God with all of our needs and all of our requests, we need to spend time in worship. Because worship prepares us for what God wants to do in our lives. So the Lord's hand comes upon Elisha. And again, can't you see these guys kind of leaning in? Okay, we've worshipped long enough, they were probably thinking, especially Joram. And they're ready to hear. All right, God's hand has come upon you. How is God going to help get water to our troops? And Elisha says in verse 16, This is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches, or trenches, your version might say. And again, those kings might have gone, what? What did he say? I, I thought God was going to send some water for our troops. He wants us to go out in the blazing heat in the desert and dig some ditches? Yeah, that's what he said. Here's another lesson about ridiculous faith. Only God can send the water, but sometimes He wants you to dig the ditch. James 2.26, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Ridiculous 
Amazing faith is a faith that works. It's a faith that does something. It's a faith that believes that God is going to act once we act. And that is a, a biblical principle that we see throughout Scripture. That when God sees our faith, He then shows us His faithfulness. In that order. God didn't need those soldiers to dig ditches in order to bring water. But he did want to see what kind of faith they had. And we see it in the Bible all the time. Noah showed his faith. You know the story of Noah. Noah, it's going to rain. It's going to what? It never rained on earth before at that point. The, the, the earth was watered with the mist and the dew. It had never rained. God said, it's going to rain a lot. <laughs> Go build a big boat. Noah went, okay. Because you say so. So by faith, Noah built a boat. Moses put his faith into action. He didn't want to go back to Egypt, confront Pharaoh. God met him at that burning bush. He said, get back down there. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. At first Moses, blah, 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 I stutter. They won't listen to me. God said, come on, Moses, get on back down there to Egypt. And when Moses showed faith. God showed his faithfulness. And the people were set free. Or Abraham. Hey, Abraham, pack up your suitcase. We're, we're leaving town, going to a new place. Where? I'll show you. Just pack up and go. And he went. And then when his son Isaac was born, remember that? Take your son, your, your only son of promise, and go way over there in the next county and Climb that mountain and kill him. Plunge a knife into him. Okay. Said immediately they got up and went. Of course, God stopped him. An angel of the Lord stopped him from doing that. God wanted to see what kind of faith Abraham had. We see it in Scripture all the time. That ridiculous faith on our part is God's cue to do his part. So what's that look like? in this day and age, for us. Well, if, if you're a parent, you've got kids, if you want your kids to be faithful to the Lord, then you've got to dig some ditches. You've got to bring them to the Lord's house for worship. You need to talk about spiritual things at home. You need to set a godly example at home. People who want God to bless their, their job or their business need to dig some ditches, run their business in a Christian way, in an honest, ethical way. You say, well, I want God to bless my finances. Well, then dig a ditch. Trust God with the 10% tithe and watch how He blesses the 90% that's left over. A guy who wants a wife just can't find a woman. He might need to dig a ditch by taking a shower and ironing a shirt and getting a job, you know? God can send the water, but we need to dig the ditch. We can't sit back and expect God just to make everything magically appear in our own lives, in the life of a church. He wants to see if we're willing to put our faith into action. 
Look what Elisha says. Let's go to verse 17. This is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. Isn't that interesting? No rain, but there's going to be water in these ditches. And you and your cattle and your other animals will drink. And I love this statement. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. And then he says, kind of as a, as a P.S. Oh, and by the way, he will also hand Moab over to you. Isn't it good to know that it's an easy thing for our God to meet our needs? You know, we might be freaking out. Oh, God, what are we going to do? And God's sitting in heaven going, this is easy. I got this. Kind of how it's been the past year, isn't it, with all this crazy COVID Stuff, the world has just gone nuts. But God's going, hey, it's just an easy thing. Trust me, I got you. Now, he won't always meet our needs the way we think he should. But he will. And it starts with us digging some ditches, putting our faith to work. So here's another lesson we learned from this story. Faith believes big, but is willing to start small. Ephesians 3.20, I love this passage. God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than all we ask or even imagine. But sometimes He wants us to start small before those abundant things take place. These three kings, boy, they wanted this big victory over Moab. But God said, well, you got to start small by digging some ditches. And you know how to dig a ditch, don't you? Just one shovel full at a time. You start with what's in front of you. Which means that each one of us, no matter our age, our health, our abilities, our resources, we can all do something. All we got to do is just start small. Trust God with it. When I was preaching to Georgetown, there was an elderly lady in her late 80s, very feeble, widow, lived on a, in the old farmhouse. I saw her one day and she said, you know, I, I can't do much at the church. But I pray three times a day for you and the other preachers. I said, I'll take that over anything else you could do. When she passed away, I challenged the people at her funeral, okay, who's going to start praying three times a day for me and <laughs> for the other guys? Just start small. A young girl named Kendall lives in Indiana Heard her father say after he came home from a Christian convention that people need fresh water wells down in, in Haiti and over in Africa. And he was going to think about how he might be able to help make that happen. Well, that little seven-year-old girl went to bed that night and she had a dream about cows. And the next morning she told her mom and dad, she said, you know, 
Daddy, you're talking about digging wells and having water, but people also need cows. And they thought, well, how cute. How cute. But now it's about 12 years later, and Kendi's Cows of Grace is a mission that provides cows and now chickens and goats and hogs to people in poverty-stricken third-world countries. And it all started with a little girl who said, you know, people need cows, and I'm going to do something about that. And she has. See, God can do ridiculous things when we start digging ditches. When we start putting our faith to work. And even if it's little, small ditches. So let me encourage you this morning to spend some time praying and worshiping and seeking the Lord for what He might want you to do. Ask the Lord, Lord, what, what mission can I pursue? Who can I make an impact on? Where, where can I put some ridiculous faith into action? And again, it may not be anything big, and that's okay. Because if God is in it, you're going to be right where He wants you to be. Well, what happened to Elisha and the three kings? Well, the men started digging ditches all throughout that valley. The next morning, they woke up, and sure enough, just like God said, because it's an easy thing, those trenches and those ditches were full of water. Hadn't rained, but water had flowed into those ditches. And with the morning sun coming up, the men of Moab looked out over their walls, down into that valley, and the sun was reflecting off that water, and they thought that those trenches were filled with blood. They probably thought, well, yeah, I knew those three armies couldn't get along. They turned on each other during the night, slaughtered a whole bunch of them, killed them all, and their blood has filled the valley. They throw open the gates, they rush out to get the plunder, only to be soundly defeated by the armies of those three kings. So just as Elisha had said, oh, and, and by the way, God will hand Moab over to you. <laughs> and he did. When they put their faith to work, God went to work. And friends, that's the formula that we see in Scripture. We show faith. God shows us His faithfulness. So whatever your need is this morning, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you are praying about or hoping for, it all starts with an obedient act of faith. And when God sees your faith, the blessings will start to flow. Have the worship team start making their way up. We're going to close this morning with an invitation for anybody here that may have never taken a step toward Jesus, a step of faith. And the Bible tells us what those steps of faith are. 
uh, becoming a Christian, being saved from your sins, it all begins with this ridiculous faith that believes almost what some say is a ridiculous story. That Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth, lived a sinless life, died a horrible death on a cross, and He paid for our sins, but rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of God. There's a lot of people in this world who go, that's, that's ridiculous, that's crazy. Well, believing that is your first amazing step of faith. Once you believe that, yeah, Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins, well, when you hear that, it ought to break your heart. It ought to lead you to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave my sinful life behind. I'm going to live a godly life. That's called repentance. And once you make that, that change or that turn, then you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. You put your faith into action as you're baptized into Christ. And some say, well, that's ridiculous. That's amazing to me. Man, it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus did when he died and was buried and rose again. And when we take that step of baptism, we're forgiven of our sins, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And some people might hear all of that and go, so, so you're saying that God came to earth to save me? Well, that's just crazy. And I agree with him. Don't you? It is crazy that a perfect God would, live, would love sinners like you and me. But while it's crazy, it's also true. <laughs> so is there anyone here ready to respond to this amazing story of Jesus by taking some amazing steps of faith? Anybody willing to kill your cows and burn your plows to say, hey, I'm going to leave the old life behind so I can follow Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think others can benefit from it, we encourage you to share it on social media, subscribe to our podcast, or leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform you use. You can also connect with us online at Bethlehem505.org or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time as we each seek to understand God's Word and follow His Son, Jesus Christ.